He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, he's outspoken. You will tell your kids, and your grandkids, and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise, and he was the greatest world's heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas, and you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. Triple Threat Podcast, bringing you another great episode, and the episode number here is actually episode number 50 of this Triple Threat Podcast. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner from the two-man power trip, the one and only John Paz, and on this show, we are always joined by the only man more famous than this individual in the great city of Pittsburgh is Mr. Belvedere. He is the one and only franchise, Shane Douglas. Shane, welcome to episode number 50. Yeah, and I'm not a butler either, so. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's sort of dated. You know, asked for like a grade on that. It's sort of dated, but I, I get the inside reference. It was, you know, very, very well uh, 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 birthed in Pittsburgh lore, uh, much like the text that I just sent you guys a little bit ago using the word yins. <laughs> uh, they call them yinsers in Pittsburgh, so. Yeah, yeah, let's make this whole thing the uh, Pittsburgh episode. We'll go downtown and wash our hands. No, that's pretty good. Come on, Mr. Belvedere. That's a, uh, that's a classic Pittsburgh reference. I just, uh, I don't know how I stumbled upon it the other day, and I was like, you know what, i got to write this one down just because uh, it's so obscure. But hey, go, Mr. Belvedere and the franchise. Now there's a sitcom for you. Yeah, right. Right, And right now, every millennial is sitting around going, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> Who's Mr. Belvedere? <laughs> <laughs> Look it up, kiddies. You'll, you'll, you'll see it. <laughs> oh, definitely from the sitcom, the sitcom era. Very famous historical figure. One of the founding fathers of comedy. So just, you can't, you gotta, if you give it to them, then they won't go out and do their homework. you got to let them... All the kitties out there, look up Mr. Belvedere. You can't give them any little clue more than that. It's just, just like something to entice them. Like they were a very profoundly important historical figure, and you won't <laughs> believe how important. Now they'll go out and do their homework and not watch. But how about the wrestling tie-in, Bob Euchre? So there you go. So there's always a wrestling tie-in some way or another. Bob Euchre, baseball player, who had some of the greatest light beer commercials of all time. So it's got all ties. It's really, if you go within like six degrees of wrestling, you can tie up everybody in the universe, including the the, uh, uh, the Anunnaki. 
there's another one. <laughs> more more homework to assign. <laughs> and how about this? This is another funny one too. And I'm sorry, I'm, we're going to move on from Mr. Belvedere in a minute. But one of the characters' names on Mr. Belvedere is Kevin Owens. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> I told you, six degrees, brother. It's all in there. <laughs> Kevin Owens might look a little bit more like Mr. Belvedere than the actual kid that uh, that, that was called Kevin Owens, but that's not a yeah, right. that's not a shot at uh, at the former Kevin Steen. But whatever, we'll move on from Kevin Owens. Shane, we're in here on episode number fifty. It's uh, moving ever so closer to that that one year mark. Episode number fifty two. Hard to believe. That, uh, that we birthed this almost a year ago, and uh, the fun just keeps on rolling. In this episode, it's it's not a lot of stuff on the run sheet, but I have a feeling it's going to be a stacked episode because there's a lot of stuff to dive into. But the one thing i got to ask you about is just kind of reflecting. you got a big weekend this past weekend, uh, kind of in a, in a friendly uh, territory, as in the ECW arena in Philadelphia, against a very unfriendly uh, individual, an opponent of yours, Luke Hawks. Kind of, uh, you know, give us your reflections on this match. I heard it was pretty, uh, pretty crazy there in Philadelphia for, uh, on Saturday night. Well, I mean, I think the match was very apropos for the ECW arena. Uh, you know, a lot of blood, uh, more mine than his, unfortunately. Uh, but you know, I, I'll, I'll say this just so somebody can't say, take a shot and say, see, all I did was shit on somebody. Uh, this was the first. And as far as I'm concerned, only time uh, I'll ever be in the ring with Luke Hawks. Um, I was impressed by how much heart he had, uh, the fight that he brought. Um, you know, but it, very different for me to step into the uh, 23rd Arena, you know, previously, uh, uh, the ECW Arena, uh, because before, you know, it, it, was, it was always friendly territory, even though I was the, the lead heel. You know, it was, uh, you know, like, home country and uh uh saturday was was a bit different uh luke had quite a few supporters there and you know it's uh we'll just leave it at this that we had a a certain uh partner that decided to show up uh offered their services and i decided to take them up on it because a i'm in a building that uh, I have no connection to anybody in the building as far as other wrestlers in the dressing room. Uh, well, I take it back, Sabu, of course, but, you know, Sabu's always off doing Sabu things, uh, you know, and uh, so one of the uh, podcast partners here decided to come by and watch the franchises back and took it upon himself to, to make sure that he kept the playing field level. We'll just leave it at that. And, uh, uh, actually came out and uh, threw in. So a little more loyalty there with uh, with uh, the podcast partner, Jay Peaster, that he was there to, to watch. I understand you were, you were moving this weekend. Wow, jeez. You know, getting ready for this big move, but uh, no, it was, uh, it was actually it was, I, I just didn't trust you know, being in a building that it was a dress room made up entirely of people from another company that were and are loyal to Luke. Uh, you know, it, I, I was born at night, but I wasn't born last night or Friday night. And so, uh, you know, Luke and I got into it and, uh, I'll just leave it at this and let the fans find out whatever they want to find out about it. Uh, I got the victory on Saturday night. Uh, wasn't easy. 
but I got the victory. So, you know, enough to shut down and put an end to all this ridiculous name calling and, uh, you know, shoot comments, you know, uh, made about and everything. It's, we had a match. I won the match. End of story. So bragging rights to the franchise. Um, next subject. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> End of story. I'm sitting here in Virginia, okay, obviously a good three plus hours away, uh, breaking my back, moving uh, a house by myself, uh, doing it all. Uh, one truck, one person, one man, that's me. And uh, casually just texting Saturday night with my tag team partner. Kind of about, you know, just nonsense. Nothing really uh, coming about. You know, we had a great show published last Friday. You know, just kind of going back and forth a little bit about this. Um, what you just said is news to me, and it's a little disheartening that not only, you know, our partner here on the show, but my tag team partner for Two Man Power Trips getting involved in matches now. I- I'm not going to try to be political here, but aren't we supposed to be a little bit more impartial uh, in terms of uh, the... The relationships we have in the business, I mean, John, uh, you know, I'm not going to call you out on a carpet or anything, but, you know, I love that you're there for Shane, and obviously I would have been there in some capacity, but to interject yourself, man, that's pretty ballsy if you ask me. Well, when you hear that Shane is having this match in basically the place he created, ECW Arena, but it's not the same place when you think about it because nobody there likes Shane the company included I'm talking about and the fans all hated them. They were getting on. There was a couple real rowdy fans that were really getting on. I thought a couple of guys were going to jump the guardrail at one point. I'm thinking to myself, how could you let, you know, the triple threat partner, how could you let your friend, the mentor, if you will, how could you let him go into un, you know, unsafe territory by himself? So I, I had to go there. I was, you know, I was prepared if need be to kind of interject myself. If, if anything crazy were to happen, so what I had to do is what I had to do, and obviously when uh, Luke wasn't paying too much attention, I, uh, I, I, you know, I had to interject myself in the match. But let's just say one thing: he did stiff me, he did punch me in the face, he did uh, cut my lip, and um, I'm not going to forget that. But let's just say that, despite all that, Luke did end up losing, and Shane won, and we got the hell out of that building. That's all I got to say. Yeah, hell out of dodge. It's uh. You got to know when the getting's good, and, and the getting was good, and uh, no, nobody uh, just for uh, posterity's sake, uh, nobody included this conversation. Uh, asked JP to get involved. Uh, I have to admit, I was a little bit pleasantly surprised when I saw him at ringside. But uh, you know, it's I, I beckon back to uh, my Terry Funk uh, adage from the ages. You know, win if you can, lose if you must, but always cheat. And, uh, you know, it's certainly not beyond the franchise to cheat, although I didn't have to cheat on Saturday night. So, again, a little bit more of a morsel of, uh, for the interest of the people if they want to see if they can go out there and find it. I think it may be posted on Internet pay-per-view uh, here sometime soon. But uh, suffice it to say, the franchise left the building uh, with the win. Uh and I can say that JP's running out to ringside was not uh, uh, implicatory to my victory. So uh, you can, J, Luke can't say that you know he lost because JP was at ringside. Uh, JP was a factor, but he was not a deciding factor in the match. So his uh, journalistic integrity stays intact. 
Absolutely. And I feel like I was just evening the odds because it's a little unfair that basically everyone in the whole building, everyone in the back doesn't like you. Uh, I noticed the only people when we were backstage that really said hello was Joel Gertner, Stevie Richards, and Sabu. Kind of no secret that they all knew you from ECW. So, you know, the rest of the guys, I mean, show some respect to the franchise. Yeah. Where's the love? Where's the love? I mean, for the guy that made that building, where's the love? It's, uh, but I, I mean, look, it, it's said and done. You know, it, I now have it out of the way. It's it's a monkey off my back. That, you know, any fan that wants to say, what about Luke Cox? And I can also then say that I did uh, something, although the completely different situations, I did something that Ric Flair didn't uh, refuse to do uh, back in his day uh, to show up and defend his honor. I did show up and defended my honor. And uh, so the Luke Hawk match is now history. I've moved on with another notch in my belt and uh, monkey off my back. And for all the doubters and, and doubting Thomases in the ECW ring that thought the old guy couldn't do it, well, the old guy did it again. So uh, especially my friend that was sitting right at the, at the end of the entranceway uh, to the right if you're coming to the ring uh who was vociferously a luke cox uh fan and was pretty vocal well uh i'm gonna steal a fan for my uh, a phrase from my good friend sean michaels you can suck it <laughs> he uh <laughs> he uh he was pretty vocal and and uh but i but i will also add that uh he was drinking but even with his beer muscles he was smart enough not to come over that railing uh, although he acted like he wanted to, but there was nothing holding him back. But, uh, unless the air in the ECW ring was really thick and had him tangled up and he couldn't quite get over that railing. But uh, match is over behind us. Move on. Subject number two. Well, I respect you. Like, you have no idea, Shane, and I'm very uh, – uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, you know, you guys got out of Dodge all right. All right? And I know you can take care of yourself, but I'm going to have a talking to uh, with my partner when we meet up on Saturday when we'll all be together in New Jersey – at Legends of the Ring this coming Saturday in Monroe, which is you know it's going to be fun. But now I mean, uh, it's got some different uh, it's got, it got some different implications. If you ask me, I really got to sit down here and uh, and chit chat with my partner and uh, and got to remind him you know we still got a show to do on our end. Um, but we'll, we'll we'll move on from there. We'll move on from there. Um, hey, I'm sensing I'm sensing a little bit of uh, like. Uh bromance type uh, jealousy going on like you, you you're not afraid of like jp not going to go off into a, a podcast are him because of not only he was just there to, to make sure that somebody had the franchise back plain and simple no i understand i've always been the one who's uh politically uh had to keep my mouth shut in certain situations because he's always been the uh you know the the, uh, the the angel and the devil on your shoulder he's always been the voice of reason to say to keep it back so a little, a uh, little surprised at him, but hey, we'll move on. We got other stuff to talk about. We'll talk about that on Saturday. We got a car ride uh, that John and I will be taking. We have some, <laughs> some stuff to talk about. But Shane, I mean, one thing I want to ask though about the ECW arena, and we've talked about it to death at different times in the show, and it, it's kind of channeling the ghosts of the old ECW arena when you step in there. Yes, it's the 2300 arena now. It was the new Alhambra arena years ago. But still, it's the ghost of ECW, and with the Stevie Richards there, and a Joel Gertner, and a Sabu, and yourself getting in and out of there, and what you had to do, 
Do you still feel that tag team partner of the arena on your side just stepping in there? Or was this so contentious with the environment you were surrounded in, it was a little maybe distracting than what it normally would feel like, you know, on a, on a different show you might be on in the same place? Well, you know, the, that building always holds. And it, the building's got a soul. I mean, you can feel it when you walk into it. Uh, when you have the history in that building that, I had had with it Sabu, Stevie Richards, Joel Gertner. Uh, you know, you, you feel like you're at home. It looks nothing like the original ECW arena uh, did then. Uh, now, it uh, smells, <laughs> thank God, nothing like the original ECW arena. <laughs> uh, but you know, like I, I always said, you know, you walk into that building, if, if those walls could talk, you know, the things that those walls had seen and witnessed, uh, and it definitely feels. You know, like you're, you know, falling into your mother's bosom, you know, it's a, you're home. And, uh, you know, the, the, the time has changed, the time frame has changed, but the feeling of standing in that arena still feels like 1994, 95, 96, 97, 98. Uh, it very much has that connection to that time. And it always will. You know, it's any wrestling fan for any promotion that walks into that building knows even if they're, they're not told, uh, they know and they can feel that they're sitting in the ECW arena, the building where all that magic transpired. So, you know, for me, anytime I walk, walk in there, whether it's an icons convention, a house of hardcore show, or to face off against my nemesis, Luke Hawks, uh, then, you know, I'm, I'm right back home. It's, it's 1994 all over again. Yeah, it's uh, the the venue definitely. It's the fact that it's still there, you know, and it's still in its original, you know, structure. Not necessarily the same on the inside. Uh, it's still, you know, it's still a sight to be seen. You definitely do get that kind of magical feeling when you step through there and you think about, you know, the chants and the blood and the tables and the chairs and then some of the technical wrestling. I mean, it's it, it is a magical place. If you've never been to the arena, if you can get there either for a House of Hardcore or for a Wildcat show or for an Icons convention, anything that's there. Definitely just go to feel the vibe of the arena because I kid you not, your mind will wander and you'll start thinking about Shane in the middle of the ring throwing down the title or you think about Brian Lee chokeslamming Tommy Dreamer from uh, from the heavens all the way down through the stack of tables. I mean, you just they echo in your brain. If you're a, a historian or you're a fan of the old school you definitely know what went on in that building, and you'll feel it when you go in there. But that's really cool to see that. Now, i got to ask about Stevie Richards. Now, I told John this at some point. I do plan on starting Stevie Richards' uh, resistance band training program that he does have because uh, the Chadsters uh, put on a couple of pounds here as he's gone through this stressful <laughs> uh, house purchasing pro process. But can you believe the shape that Stevie is in these days? I mean, he looks in phenomenal, phenomenal shape, better than he ever did in the ring, and he always had a great physique during his heyday in ECW. Yeah, he, he's definitely uh, somebody who blossomed late in the physical department. Uh, uh, even like when he was in WWF, you know, he, he was never in bad shape. And ECW was on the thin side and when he was in the WWF, WWF, I don't know when the name change came, so whatever it was called then. Uh, you know, you could see he was, it was in damn good shape, but he had the shirt on and the tie and everything. Uh, yeah, he's in phenomenal shape. He really is. And, you know, it's funny when you see somebody that, especially like when they're in, you know, in their late 20s, early 30s, finally start getting into the uh, bodybuilding and, the, and you know, the, the, the uh, physique building and the health building. 
uh, because, you know, after living, you know, 30 years of being unhealthy, uh, you know, not watching what you're eating, not getting to the gym, not, not training your, 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 your body properly. Uh, the most people that I've seen in that situation that come to it late, uh, later in life, or, you know, I don't mean like with old, but, you know, not through their teens and twenties, uh, they, it, they become a real adherent of it, you know, and they really, really get into the lifestyle. It becomes very addictive. And, you know, for anybody out there that works out, whether it's lifting weights, it's running, it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, doing Tai Chi, doing the yoga, uh, DDP yoga, whatever, whatever it is, anything you do that you begin to see physical transformation of, uh, it, it does become very addictive. You know, it's uh, anybody that does it knows what I'm talking about. Like to me, when I see people running, it boggles my mind because I always hated running. Uh, but, you know, I win sprints for one thing. I could do those. But, you know, you start talking about running for 26 miles. The first thing I think of is, why well, I got a fucking car. You know, why, <laughs> why, why run 26 miles? Uh, you know, but it, that sounds like a torture to me. But you can see the people that do it seem to be really enjoying themselves. You know, like, like they're high. You know, they're getting high and then they're really enjoying it. Uh, uh, and I think that's that really underscores Stevie Richards. You know, he when you see his blog and, and uh, you know, his program and, and when you talk to him about it, you can see it's not just a side interest to him. It's a it's a central focus to him. And uh, I'm happy to see that he's, you know, turning it into something and and uh, setting a second stage for himself and his wife because he's. Uh, He's a great guy, a very intelligent guy, you know, and, and that he's doing that, you know, he's, he's parlaying something that most people don't see as a, as a mode of making money or means by, uh, and, and he's figuring out a way to do that. So, uh, fantastic. Kudos to Stevie. Yeah. And overcame, uh, absolutely horrendous neck injury that, I mean, really almost yes. cost him his career. In the late '90s, I believe 19. After he left ECW, I believe he was in WCW at the time, and nearly cost him his entire career. And for him to battle back, and here we are, almost 20 years later, and he's uh, he's still going strong. He's on the independents a lot. He does a couple great podcasts. He does one with Vince Russo. He does a couple other. Um, he does a conspiracy podcast. He does all the stuff with the fitness that like you're talking about. So I will be doing the Stevie Richards resistance band training, trying to get myself back into. Uh, some uh, you know, better shape here. These uh, these last few months have been a little stressful. Uh, maybe I got to get in a ring shape with the way this show's going. But you know, I digress. <laughs> I, I, You're a little side dig there. I think you might have touched the nerve there, JP. What do you think? Yeah, really. I mean, uh, I feel like when we first started this show, we said we wanted to prove ourselves to Shane to be in the real triple threat. We want to be like Bam Bam and Candido, and I feel like I'm. Holding up my end of the bargain. I don't know what what uh, Chad's thinking about. Whoa, touche! A little counterpoint, point counterpoint. If you guys, <laughs> if you guys show up, if I show up on Saturday and you guys are holding a little like uh, spaghetti strap bikini for me, I'm gonna take that as a huge insult. <laughs> because then, although, well, how about if we have like, how about if we have our own like like dogging outfits made up, like one the franchise and one the JP shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Shane, if he shows up with uh, blonde hair on Saturday, then you know you, <laughs> then you know you got a problem on your hands. <laughs> Gimmick alert! Hello, John. I'm talking to you. Gimmick alert! Blonde hair. <laughs> Saturday, you got five days to uh, 
to to get it done. I'd love to see what your wife would uh, would think about that. But I I hate to do this because we're gonna get real serious here now, and we're going to get lighter towards the the latter half of the show. But Shane, we gotta talk about the story of the Rock and Rebel and uh, the absolute wow, yeah. the absolute tragedy that took place uh, this past weekend of uh, Friday. In Pennsylvania, as Chuck Williams, the Rock and Rebel, uh, apparently, and now I believe the police have also confirmed it, uh, shot and killed his wife before turning the gun on himself and uh, leaving two children without a mother and a father and uh, going out about as uh, crazy as you can. And um, I, I just kind of wanted to get your take on it. I really haven't seen anybody talking about it outside of just what's being reported in the news. And, I mean, it's really, it's a it's a... Uh, a one-trick story. He shot and killed his wife, then he killed himself. And and if you read some of the Facebook posts that have been going on from family members of Stephanie, his wife, who has been absolutely, you know, brutally murdered, uh, you see there were some cracks in their marriage, it looked like. Um, she was very, uh, it seemed to be in fear uh, of the Rock and Rebel at certain points. And uh, I don't want to go too far into that because I'm not that educated on it. But Shane, just you know, if you can, what are your thoughts on this whole entire thing? I mean, Rock and Rebel is being linked to ECW, although he had just he had a cup of coffee in ECW doing <laughs> matches in 1995, and and was kind of linked to the Philadelphia and Pennsylvania and Delaware independent scene because he had a promoter's license, had a ring. So if you if you're on the inside, you know that story, you know that side of Rock and Rebel. But Shane, kind of take us into uh, what you thought about when you saw this story developing last Friday. Well, I was on my way uh, in route. To, uh, Philadelphia. I didn't hear till Saturday morning. And when uh, my manager called and told me, he said, hey, did you hear about Rock and Rebel? I thought he was going to say like he was in a wreck or you know something. But when he told me the story, I was like, I was like, what? I, I mean, it's so insane. Like you said, it's it's such a crazy story. Uh, you know, it, and you know, not to just throw a cliche out there, but you know, this just proves every time, you know, with all the insane stories we've heard about in professional wrestling, there's always something crazier coming down the road somewhere. Uh, you know, I I knew Chuck obviously. Uh, I've known him for two decades or longer. Uh, he he and I always got along fairly well, although Chuck seemed. He, he was anybody that knows him knows what I'm talking about. He wasn't the kind of guy that just really let his hair down with you. You know, like he he would talk about like if you were talking about subject A, he would say a few things about subject A, and then he was on his way. Uh, but you know, always seemed to me to be like an overly intense guy. You know, like uh, you know, scream about a parking spot or whatever that type of thing. Um, I, I don't, you know, I didn't read any of the Facebook posts that you're saying, and I didn't know his wife. Uh, uh, my condolences, obviously, to the family and to the children. Uh, my, that's the the biggest heartbreak of this thing to me is that, that the kids were in the house, allegedly, from what I'm reading online, that the kids were in the house at the time that this happened. Uh, you know, can you imagine you hear a couple shots and you get on and you find and you see your, your mother and your father both laying there. I mean, it, it's, I can't think of anything more horrible for a child. And uh, you know, no kid should have to witness something like that, let alone the loss of, you know, of their mother and at the hands of their father, again, allegedly based off, you know, what I'm reading, but just an absolute shocker of a story. I, I don't understand and never will, uh, hopefully understand that 
you know, if, if you're, you're in a relationship and you hate him or she hates you, uh, and leave, <laughs> just leave. The grass is greener out there anyway. There's plenty of, there's plenty of women out there. If you're looking for a woman, there's plenty of men. If you're looking for a man, uh, you know, why I don't understand why people would keep themselves in, uh, an abusive relationship in a relationship where they were afraid. Uh, I can't imagine living my life every day being afraid, you know, like, uh, walking on eggshells. It would just seem to get, you know, paralyzing after a while. Uh, but you know, it's, I mean, this is the kind of thing you, you can't qualify, you know, like, how do you, you know, to obviously be an understatement to say, I never thought, saw that coming. I mean, it, it, you know, like I said, uh, Chuck always seemed like a pretty intense guy, but he never seemed to be a, a violent guy like that. You know, something to pull something like that, uh, just nauseates you, you know, when, when you think about it, uh, that, that there's a woman dead who lived in fear and now <laughs> understandably so. And then the kids, uh, having, uh, you know, aside from what they witnessed in the house, if there was, I read something again from one of the neighbors that said that there was always a lot of, you know, vulgar yelling and stuff going on and language used between the two. Well, imagine the kids seeing this on a day-to-day basis, you know, seeing this, you know, the, the yelling and screaming, that, that's not healthy for a child, you know, and then this on top of it, I mean, it, it's just a really, really tragic situation. I mean, that goes without saying. And, uh, again, my condolences go out to the families, uh, to, to his wife, especially and to the kids, uh, you know, whoever's, you know, listening, uh, if anybody's listening out there from the family, please make sure those kids, see some professionals to get that dealt with because, uh, you know, that's obviously going to leave a deep scar on, on the kids. And, you know, I always think of the kids and anybody could do something like that. I mean, it'd be easy enough to, you know, if you're, again, don't know the circumstances or anything, but if you're planning on killing somebody, at least send the kids to the neighbor's house for the night, you know, so I mean, for God's sake, do something, but just, you know, the whole thing just is, uh, so, so nauseating and, and sickening. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those things that happens and, you know, it just, uh, I guess, puts everything into perspective for it a little bit better. You know, we all complain, I got to get up early tomorrow for employment or I got to, you know, go get the oil changed in the car. You know, when you, start, when you take a step back in the overall things that we complain about on a day-to-day basis and then you see something like this, it instantly snaps that back into a uh, little clearer picture for you. Uh, but again, my condolences that to the family, uh, his wife's family and his family as well. Uh, they must be in shock, you know, of something like this happening. And, and certainly for the kids, just an absolute, uh, horrific episode. So sad. Yeah. Leaving two twins, um, behind, uh, with no mother, no father. And some things I've read and just reading people's comments, you know, people blaming, the lifestyle of wrestling, people blaming, you know, the fact that they did not have a great relationship. Some people, you know, blaming that he wasn't really, you know, a great guy towards the, the family. He was a little abusive. A lot of stuff, obviously, we can't substantiate that. All we can kind of read and, and digest is what we're seeing published. But I think people kind of relating it to the Chris Benoit murders, obviously, much different Um I don't want to say one is more barbaric than the other. They're both absolutely disgusting. Maybe Benoit, you know, murdering a child kind of hurt, hurts as well. But 
they're both equally as dis despicable because of the nature of the crime. But the parallels of, of a wrestler murdering his family, um, not to say it's a stigma, but the fact that people are comparing it, obviously not something you want associated with your business and not something you want people to think about because if it happens once, it's now happening twice, people are just going to say, oh, that happens all the time. So that stigma kind of being there, you know, do you think people are going to start blaming again steroid abuse or head trauma or any kind of ring injuries that lead to somebody's anger being a certain way? Do you think that people are going to start having that discussion again like we had heard, you know, ad nauseum during the Chris Benoit uh, murder stuff that was going on yeah. good 10 years ago? Yeah. yeah, naturally. I mean, that's going to happen. And I think in some ways it may be uh, overdue, you know, and I, look, I'm not somebody that, that, that's prepared to, you know, I, I go out and murder somebody because I was a wrestler and because I was a violent guy. Uh, it's like, you know, you, you know, I'm also a school teacher and, you know, a bunch of other things, you know, does that mean that school teachers and, and businessmen and other, you know, podcast partners go out and murder their wives? Uh, you know, that's it's a real flimsy argument to make, but I think taking a step back away from that and looking and saying, seeing, you know, what we know about, uh, CTE, uh, uh, that, you know that, like for the Steelers, if you if you saw the movie about uh, uh, what was it, John Kolb, I think. Uh, no, Mike, Mike Webster, uh, the movie about Ben Adamalo, the the doctor that originally diagnosed CTE. Uh, there, according to that that book and that portrayal, uh, he and a couple other Steelers and other NFL players exhibited very different personalities. Uh, than their typical selves, uh, either shortly before killing themselves or being found dead. Uh, you know, I think that when you start, you know, back in the days of ECW, when, when the chair shots and all those things started happening, uh, you know, keep in mind, you know, the head, head shots were around a lot longer than ECW, unfortunately. But, you know, throughout my career, especially the early part of my career, uh, concussions were considered oh you know if you if you got told you had a concussion and you relayed that to the company they say oh thank god that's all it is you know like it's no big deal like it's a bruise you know no big no, nothing to worry about and I, even before i was prepping for med school i remember thinking to myself yeah but it's your brain that's uh, a little bit important you know in the overall scheme of things and you know clearly we're beginning to see now we're getting enough quantifiable evidence and data to be able to say there is some correlation or at least appears to be some correlation between uh, chronic uh, head trauma and changes in personality that could become violent. You know, we're now seeing instances of that. And you know, before Benedamalu initially uh, diagnosed it, and the only reason he was able to diagnose it was that he was able to uh, autopsy Mike Webster's brain, and then after that. A, a very select few NFL players started, uh, or their families uh, started uh, allowing the brains to be autopsied. And uh, then, you know, like uh, if you remember, uh, uh, Junior Seau shot himself. And there was another, I think, a Philadelphia Eagle that did the same thing, shot himself intentionally to make sure that they didn't, you know, they shot themselves in the heart, I believe, to make sure they didn't damage the brain because they wanted the brain uh, examined. Uh, the NFL, noteworthy to this, is that the NFL had for years tried to 
hide and conceal this information before they finally were, I think, forced to, 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 to acknowledge that there was, uh, you know, some connection to it and, and to at least in, uh, investigate it further. I think it's noteworthy that, you know, the, the WWE continues to deny that there's any connection to, to wrestling and CTE. And I mean, uh, you know, my 12 year old son could take, could watch, you know, a couple hours of professional wrestling over the decades and see that the possibility for it is, I'm not saying that every wrestler has CTE, uh, but clearly with that kind of head trauma, if, if wearing a helmet uh, caused that kind of head trauma in NFL players, what kind of trauma would you think, uh, you know, like an Axel Rotten or a Balls Mahoney uh, would have after all those chair shots and head shots? Uh, you know, it must be, it must have some implications, you know, some impact on that. And so, you know, even though I'm not prepared to say professional wrestling caused Rock and Rebel to do this or might have caused, uh, I would think if if that was, if they, if they had a change in personality over a period of time, uh, you know, and, and he we, you know, obviously he wrestled for a, quite a long time, was there, does he have CTE? Uh, that'd be the first question. Does he have CTE? And if so, was it caused by wrestling? Uh, I don't remember Rebels being a guy that took a lot of headshots and stuff, but again, I you know, saw him for a very brief time in ECW and a handful of independent shots outside of that. But it's worthy of discussion and investigation because if there is some kind of connection or the possibility of some kind of connection, then that's something that I think the world on a larger basis and certainly people that are uh, close to people that do things that receive a lot of head trauma that they need to be aware of. Hopefully, ideally, uh, to be able to, to then go out and seek help to try to stave off violent tendencies or something that, that could come later. Uh, I, don't, I can't say that I've seen a direct correlation, uh, certainly not a scientist, but I've seen a lot of wrestling. I mean, look at Mick Foley, you know, big lovable teddy bear, right? And I can't think of too many people that had much more head trauma than, than Mick Foley has. So I, I, I'm not sure I'm ready to say, well, you know, linear logic, wrestling gets headshots, headshots cause CTE. Ergo, every wrestler that gets headshots is going to become a violent murderer. Uh, I think that's a, a real, real bit of a stretch. Uh, but certainly warrants further investigation, not just for wrestlers, but for any athlete, uh, young and old, that may be uh, impacted by head trauma. And, uh, you know, who knows what good could come from that, because a lot more people than just athletes get head trauma. Every day there's people in car accidents that get their heads banged, falls from, you know, ladders, fall downstairs. There's a lot of things that can cause head trauma. So... You know, I, I'd say it's definitely worth a, a, a much deeper look and time that maybe, you know, the, the, the bigger places like the National Institutes of Health and the Mayo Clinics and the Cleveland Clinics of the world, you know, the, 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 the big boys, where they really start getting involved in this and digging in to find out what exactly are the implications, what are the causes, are there any cures for it or any uh, modalities that could lessen it in people that are exhibiting uh, 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 symptoms. Who knows? But I, I wouldn't for a second believe that professional wrestling caused it. 
Yeah, and obviously, uh, like you said with Mick, I mean, he's taken so many blows to the head, and you could talk about the Royal Rumble match against The Rock that, I mean, still to this day, literally bone-chilling sounds when the steel hits the cranium. And, I mean, look at what Mick's been able to do. He's a writer. He's obviously on the road with his one-man show. I mean, he's still very active. So to hope that maybe uh, he will not be affected or has some effects, but it's not terribly you know, awful to his daily routine. I mean, I I really hope that's the case. But, yeah, that's some great insight to uh, what may have been going on there. But, you know, with the Rock and Rebel being associated with ECW, I mean, I said 95, but he was really there in the early, early stages of ECW. I believe, Shane, predating you even getting there when you first arrived in ECW, he was there, like, in the early, early, early days. Uh, But they're calling him an ECW star, and and not to say that he wasn't, and I'm never going to take away somebody's uh, credentials like that, and that's just, this is my opinion, but I obviously think they're using it more for the clickbait, because I I would say cup of coffee in ECW, so do you kind of not like the fact that these websites use ECW as the clickbait for somebody like Chuck Williams, who wasn't a Shane Douglas or a Sandman or a Tommy Dreamer in ECW, he was just a wrestler in ECW passing through, you know, local guy. Um, but ECW obviously, you know, still being used in 2018 to uh, be sexy enough to pe- have people click on a link. Yeah, I, was, I would say definitely overtones of fake news. You know, it's, uh, he, he was there. He was there with his tri-state. Uh, I believe, uh, you know, the, the, the complete history of that time preceding my time there, I, I, I scantly know, but I, I'm pretty sure he was there before me. I uh, was not there long after Paul Heyman took over. In fact, there was a night in uh, New Jersey on the boardwalk. We were in a small convention center over there. And Paul had told Rebel that he was going to be going over in a battle royal. And then told all of us to you know, make sure he, he was out of, the, out of the ring. So I, I tell you, I had to give him credit because he fought, he fought like a bear to stay in that ring. But, you know, with 20 guys trying to throw you out he finally got and he kept you know screaming i'm i'm supposed to go over i'm supposed to go over and, and the boys of course just kept working together to get him out uh <laughs> you know but it, it, you know, so he, he was he was there for a brief time yes but to say that he was an ecw star uh that's certainly an overstatement and, and again i think it's just overtones of, of fake news you know it's uh if I can intone something, whether it's relevant or accurate or not, or factual, it doesn't really matter. I'll just put it in there and, you know, to get somebody to read it. And, you know, I think it's just, uh, I think journalism in this country has been hurting for a long time. But, you know, that's that's a, a bit of a stretch. That would be like, you know, calling me a WrestleMania star, you know, for having never been on WrestleMania. Um, you know, it's, yeah, words matter. And, if you're going to call somebody something, you know, what is your definition of a star? Uh, anybody that that's ever stepped into a ring in the ECW arena. Okay. By that measurement, I guess so. But I would think most average people out there listening to this podcast or that watch professional wrestling, don't think of everybody that steps into that ring as a star. You know, whenever I, you know, when I went to the WWF uh, back in the eighties to do jobs, I would hardly say that anybody that building or watching that show saw Randy Savage or, or Jake Roberts uh, beat me up and say, hey, that, that Mike Kelly kid's a pretty good star. Um, you know, so uh, the words matter. I think it's a, it's a huge overstretch. But 
you know, obviously they're going to want somebody to read it. And, and so they click on it. I just think it's disingenuous. He did kind of, you know, obviously have a, a run in ECW, like you said. I think he, yeah, he was there. He was there in 92. And then obviously 93, a little bit of 94. But it wasn't, you know, many, many matches. He didn't have a ton of matches. Did wrestle Sandman, Whipwreck. Yeah, a bunch of Stevie Richards. Bunch of the guys, but never really, you know, I w- would you call a, a full time or ECW guy, but uh, certainly there. But I guess it's one of those things where it's like, ah, we can kind of stretch the, not stretch the truth, but you can kind of use facts and kind of shape facts the way you want it to make it sound, to make it almost sound like he was, uh, like, like Chad said, like, like he was a Sandman, like, oh, he was an ECW, ECW star. Right. But if we could move on to another big story going on, and that is with CM Punk. Obviously, he has a lawsuit against the WWE doctor, Chris Amon. And then that doctor has a countersuit against him as well. Shane, I'm not sure how much you were paying attention to this case, but there's a lot of interesting things coming out of this case. They have, for whatever reason, they have to find out what CM stands for. So he told them it stands for Chick Magnet Punk. Obviously, if anybody <laughs> knew punk, you kind of always knew, like, tongue-in-cheek, that's what it meant. But it's just funny, like, certain things come out like that. Then another story came out where they asked punk, well, you know, how much does Vince know? And basically, punk told the story where Vince doesn't know anything outside of WWE. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of interesting stories <laughs> that have come out. Are you paying any attention to this lawsuit? I just started recently. I'll be honest, when, when uh, you know, I've been so busy with everything else going on that, uh, this when I received the run sheet for today, I had heard something about a lawsuit, but knew nothing of the uh, of the uh, facts in the case or the, who was involved. Uh, so I, you know, obviously did the the research after the run sheet came in today, uh, and you know, it was a, it was a bit shocked, you know, that uh, so who who sued who initially? Did Punk sue the doctor initially, or did the doctor sue him initially? I guess um, what happened was Punk, I guess, sued him initially and then went on um, Colt Cabana's podcast and just ripped the doctor apart, said he had MRSA, a staph infection. The doctor didn't do anything about it. So then the doctor countersued and said that uh, his friends and family don't look at him the same way after Punk ripped him on on a podcast. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, first of all, there is uh, one absolute universal uh, uh, fix for slander and libel. Uh, One remedy. uh, One thing that protects you against slander and libel. And that's the truth. If you're telling the truth, you can go out and say whatever you want about somebody as long as you stay in the confines of the truth. Uh, And obviously that's going to be what the hearing, the the lawsuit will hopefully render a decision as believing one or the other. uh, If Punk is found to be uh, telling the truth, then I would say that the doctor probably stands to, to lose because now not only is he going to lose that case, but how much more damage has been done to his to his uh, reputation that he went out and attacked somebody who was trying to get the truth out there about his practice, uh, his practices, I should say, uh, uh, his bedside manner, so to speak, and and tried to quiet him you know that i think that in many ways looks far worse than you know just making a bad diagnosis or a bad uh, treatment plan 
But the, the part that interested me the most in that story, as far as just the, the facts of the case, that I was you know, reading between all the he said, she said, you know, CM means this or it means that, uh, was when he was talking about the, you know, the large uh, bulge on his back and that that was left, you know, un, unattended, you know, no, no real treatment other than Z-Packs, and then goes to a uh, physician's assistant who immediately diagnoses uh, a staph infection and drains. It's a very common modality. It's the modality of choice for you know, a, a, a severe infection like that is to get it drained. And that he had almost immediate relief. Now, what I couldn't find in that story was how long before that had that, that boil been there, that bump been there, and how long when he says he left it untreated, what, what, was that a, a visit? Was it 10 visits? Was it 20 visits? Well, you know, what was the, the length of time that, that was left go? And uh, if, if it was, it, it, first of all, when you say MRSA, that means that they had to do a pathology test on it and confirm that it was MRSA. You know, MRSA, of course, being the flesh-eating uh, 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 antibiotic-resistant uh, infection. If it's proven to be that, and they have the pathologies and the lab reports to prove that, then that takes us up to a much higher standard because you know, having a flesh-eating uh, virus disease could have been you know, life-ending, let alone career-ending, and could have had a lot worse outcome. So it'll be, I'm, now I'm interested you know, in, in the facts of the case to follow along with this to see you know, what bits of information come out along. But, you know, to me, as I was reading, the, the, you know, that link that came in today and sort of basically a line by line run through, you know, what he said, she said type thing. And it felt like I was reading a trial transcript. You know, it was a little bit dry, a little bit boring, a little bit irrelevant. And then you start winning those pieces out, you know, and like I said, I'm going to be very curious to find out, you know, how long did, uh, did Punk present to this Dr. Amon if he did it all, uh, Dr. Ammon or Ammon, however you pronounce his name, uh, did he make note of that in Punk's file? Uh, if not, are there pages missing from the file? Were the deletions made in the file? Are the files on paper anywhere? There's a lot of really raises a lot of pretty interesting questions for people that understand the medical field and you know, uh, you know, just from a legalese standpoint. Uh, and hold, I think, big implications, big implications to the WWE, you know, who has long had these doctors lined up and these practices lined up to take care, uh, you know, take care in quotation marks, of course, uh, of their wrestlers. Uh, when I first went there in 1996 with the Dean Douglas character, uh, the first road trip I did uh, away from home, uh, lengthy road trip was to the west coast and we were in los angeles the first night so i fly in you know i'm gonna get out of the building early because i'm still fairly new in the company and stuff so i get there and they tell me to go see the doctor so i thought they meant like a commission doctor so i go down to this room and i walk in and this there's like a whole clinic set up i mean there's you know ekg machine there's an examining table there i mean it looks like a doctor's office you know it's a pretty complete place so I get on the table, give the guy my, you know, history, brief history, and he draws blood and takes an EKG and, you know, asks me, you know, if I have any problems. And, uh, 
you know, I told him and he right away pulled out a prescription pad and writes me for some sleeping pills and, you know, a couple other things and says, be on my way. About a week later, I'm home and I get a thing in the mail, a lab sheet. And on the lab sheet, not like a separate letter explaining, hey, this number, you need to look at this number, whatever. On the lab sheet, it was circled like 10 times in red. And in red ink, it was written, uh, you're facing permanent liver, liver damage or death. And capital letters underlined three times. I was like, holy shit, I'm dying. <laughs> you know, what's, I ran down to see my doctor. I was panicked. And here was because I had a high level of, of muscle enzymes, uh, you know, the proteins after the muscle tissue breaks down in my blood. Every bodybuilder does. Every athlete does. Because every day that they're practicing and, and doing their sport, you're tearing muscle tissue. But the way he had it written on this paper, I, mean, I still have it someplace in my files, it scared the crap out of me. You know, here's, a, here's a doctor that I don't know telling me I'm facing permanent liver damage or death in capital letters and underlined. And, you know, that was, that was one of the doctors that we were seeing quotation marks in the WWE, you know? So I'd be really curious to find out, you know, like I said, those questions in the, in the punk trial, I'd also like to see, you know, Dr. Uh, how do you pronounce it? Is it Ammon or Almond? I think it's Ammon or or Ammon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whatever it is, I'd like to see his uh, resume and see like what his background is, what his specialties are, because typically if a doctor, professionally speaking, if, if, if you come in and present, I'm a doctor, you come and present to me with a, a big bulge on your back. And even if, you know, that's not a specialty of yours, you immediately, if you, if you don't think you, if you're not certain or have a pretty darn good idea of what, that could be, you would uh, uh, divert them to another doctor, you know, uh, have them refer them to say doctor specialty and backs and uh, to, if he didn't do that uh, and thought, well, it's just a little bump. It'll go away, put some ice on it. Uh, That's what's going to get interesting. Again, my mind's wondering on these points because if there's no reference to that at all, in, in his file, that's going to look suspicious because then he can't say he, he you know, why do you give him the Z packs? And, you know, some of the other things, you know, it's, you know, you, or if you referred him to see another doctor, that would somehow limit your liability because he said, Hey, I, I told him to go see this doctor, whether he did or not, it's up to him. Uh, but if there's not, if, if he claims that, Punk didn't bring this up to him, and and he sanitized. I'm, I'm and I'm just I'm not saying the doctor did this, so please don't take this as me making the accusation. I'm just raising it as a specter. Uh, if the doctor has no notations in Punk's file about this, he then can't limit himself in liability by saying he referred him to another doctor for this thing on his back. You know, so it'd be really interesting. It's like a like one of those who done it type things. You know, let's follow along and see and see if we can guess which way the uh the outcome is going to go because it's you know it's a fascinating read so far from what i read today but you know i I will say this in a lot of the stuff that punk was alleging uh or i shouldn't say alleging that he was stating in his in his uh, uh testimony certainly sounded very familiar to me uh i 
uh, when I was up there in 96, I had a, uh, I'd fractured a bone in my back, uh, the vertebral column, which is like the, the tail that sort of sticks off the back of the vertebra. It didn't snap off. It was fractured about 75% of the way through. And when I took that x-ray and showed them, uh, I was told uh, by Vince McMahon, anybody can fake a, an x-ray. <laughs> what? Like, how the hell do you fake an x-ray? I mean, you know, <laughs> unless you have access to the x-ray machine or something, I, I, even then it'd be pretty difficult to do. And if you would try to like doctor an x-ray, it would almost assuredly show up as being, you know, bogus. Uh, but, you know, so you can see the mindset, though, of the company. Oh, you're hurt, so you, know, you must be lying. Uh, fascinating. It'd be something to certainly, this was going to, you know, now that I'm aware of it and, and know where to find the information, I'm going to be keeping a close eye on this because I love this kind of stuff. Medical, medical uh, whodunits and, and who's, uh, who's the blame. I love this kind of stuff. So interesting, especially with this case, obviously, because Punk and the WWE relationship is so contentious and they're really kind of going back at him with this doctor. And obviously, you know, there's some other things to play here. I'm sure uh, Vince has got his eye and his ear on this case. I'm sure a lot of other people are, too. And I feel like not that it's so certainly open and shut because you never know how their legal system is going to be or how the judge is going to be or, you know, how things are going to play out. But. The doctor did admit in court under oath that he did break HIPAA laws concerning punk. So, uh, I mean, mm. it's, just, it's just not looking good for the doctor. Yeah, that's a real HIPAA laws, uh, like the doctor, I mean, with the Hippocratic Oath, or the first do no harm. The HIPAA laws are largely understood to be part of that professional uh, line you don't cross for a doctor. Uh, and, you know, and the law itself is written pretty, pretty straightforwardly that, you know, my medical information you know, in today's world, I mean, let's face it, if, if company, if I'm interviewing with company A and they find out that I have, you know, X, Y, or Z wrong with me from my medical records, that only technically my doctor should know and my family or my wife if I'm married, which I'm not, by the way, uh, that, you know, so if he admitted that under oath, he's already got a black cloud over him in the eyes of the court whether it's a jury or, or a judge uh, going to uh, administer the outcome. That's a very, very negative thing to do. Uh, even, I, I can't think of a good explanation, you know, that you could say, well, I did it. Uh, you know, it was a mistake, but I did it because I can't think of a because that a court of law would see as being valid to reveal somebody's uh, medical information, especially a public figure. You know, for anybody, but for especially for a public figure. I mean, you know, if I find out Punk's medical history, uh, I can then, you know, go out and, you know, if I can hack into his system or whatever. I mean, it, it gives me a lot of potent, you know, as we're finding out today in today's world with all this hacking BS, information is a very powerful weapon. So if you have that uh, on someone like Punk, you know, a public figure, any public figure, yeah, that, you know that's that's problematic for the for the uh, for the doctor to say the least. I just feel like, to me anyway, listening to this case, I mean, I could care less either way, but it just seems like there's no way Punk could possibly lose this case because it looks like the evidence is there. It looks like he really was sick and injured, and the doctor 
you know, who's giving him a, a Z pack and the guy's got a staph infection. So it just seems like for whatever reason, that doctor either didn't care about punk or wasn't focused on punk, but you never know how it's going to turn out. You think he open and shot, or are you thinking that there might be some more twists and turns left in this case? I'll tell you this much, JP, with, uh, when it comes to medical stuff, medical cases, especially in a court of law, common sense holds no uh, place in this. You can't say, well, it certainly looks like and it appears to be because the law uh, very oftentimes holds very little common sense. And you know, even when you read the law and it says two plus two is four, uh, you, you think you know the outcome because of that, and then you know they, they get, you hear the decision rendered, and when the explanation is given, you, the, you didn't see that coming. So no, in, in, any, in a medical case, you could have you know a mountain of evidence that a doctor did something wrong, and you know just depending on the way the files were written, like I said, if he goes in there and suddenly has a big hole in, in punks. And again, I'm, I'm not alleging he did this. I'm just saying as a, as a, uh, what if, if he tendered this file to the court and you see a big gap when this thing was apparently going on, you know, you can hear punk talking about his, uh, symptoms, you know, uh, you know, pain, uh, agitation, depression, crying, uh, clearly was a pretty, uh, pretty impactful thing on him. Uh, physically and emotionally. So it'd be pretty unlikely that a guy in that situation and feeling th- that severe of of, of, uh, of symptoms would have gone to see the doctor and then didn't see him again for three months or two months or a month. Uh, so if there's a big gap in there, uh, it's pretty easy to see it. Well, not, no guarantee, but pretty easy to see how a court could look at, look at that and go, boy, that's suspicious. There's a big gap in there. Uh, and again, if there is that gap, he can't then allude and say, well, hey, I referred him or I did this or did that. Uh, it's, you know, with medical cases, in, in, in my experience of following this kind of stuff pretty close because I love this kind of stuff, it, you know, you think you see the outcome coming, and a lot of times you're right. And then every so often, you know, you think, well, where the hell did that come from? How did they come to that conclusion? You know, it's so obvious or you think it's so obvious. But, you know, no, there, and, and any time in a court of law, especially on, on something that, that's on the basis of medicine and the application of medicine, you know, there's no certain outcomes. But it's going to be fascinating as hell. I have a strange suspicion that you may be rooting for CM Punk in this one. I just, I just have a feeling. <laughs> well, it, my ex-employer and, you know, uh, you know Vincent Mann and WWE, you know, I, 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 I really should <laughs> wink wink take the middle of the road on this but yeah i'd let yeah if the things that punk is alleging uh against the doctor are true and you know based off of my experience of them that doesn't seem like a big stretch to me uh i would hope that punk would get out of this whatever he wants to get out of it if nothing more than to to uh absolve himself from the case of the doctor or whatever. But, you know, I, I've seen so often, and not just in WWE, I've seen so often wrestlers treated very poorly. Um, you know, called injury prone or unreliable because they got hurt. 
like they planned on getting hurt or something. Uh, you know, they're, they're just a very condescending treatment. Uh, in all, in a lot of the promotions that I worked for, including the WWF. So, you know, obviously, you know, being one of the wrestlers, listening to uh, CM Punk's testimony and, you know, reliving things in my head as I'm reading along with that testimony. Again, that doesn't validate it and doesn't make his testimony correct or incorrect. It just, it, it, it lines up, you know, it's, you know, uh, a rose is a rose is a rose, right? So when you start reading this and think, boy, I remember that. And I, I remember seeing stuff like that, or I remember experiencing stuff like that. Uh, you know, it's, it'd be nice to see somebody uh, finally get some comeuppance, uh, you know, and a little bit of uh, justice for once on that, if, if the court sees it. That, that punk is being uh, factual and true. It feels like a lot of fans forgot how big of a star punk was. And everyone always wants to say, oh, uh, you know, ratings were down. Well, ratings were down for a long time because WWE, you know, the writing was so bad. And and people like, oh, Cena. Well, the ratings were terrible for Cena. They were terrible for Del Rio. They were, you know, terrible for punk. They were kind of just been slowly been terrible for a lot of the guys, but you know, punk had consistent ratings to whatever scene it was getting. Punk was the number one merchandise guy when it was impossible. So people said for anybody to be seen in the merchandise, cause he had that, that kid dynamic where he was selling so much merch to the kids. Well, punk was out yep. beating him in the merchandise, um, pay-per-view buy rates. You know, we, at that point we were still relevant because the network wasn't really anything at that point, but you know, they were low, but they were as low as you know anybody else. Uh, he once had a show where Cena wasn't on it, and the the pay per view buy rate went up. Cena came back, the buy rate went down. So I mean, it's it's really tough to kind of say that he was doing anything bad when in his run in WWE. You look at his house show numbers. You know, the A versus the B show. Cena was on the A show. Punk was on the B show. The B show was out there on the A show. So I mean, there was a bunch of factors where Punk definitely had his fans. He was definitely super popular. Definitely had an awesome yes. run with the WWE title. What are your thoughts on Punk? We never really, you know, we haven't gotten into him too much. Were you a fan of Punk? What were your thoughts of kind of his his run there? Because I feel like it's almost forgotten. Yeah, yeah, well, it's been it's been like sort of pushed aside, and you know, obviously the WWE does nothing to to you know. I mean, how many times have we, in the last five years have we seen a Shawn Michaels video or a Undertaker video or a Steve Austin video or a Bret Hart video? Uh, you know, they they replay those guys. Uh, a because it helps them on their bottom line, you know, with the way that Punk left, <clears throat> you know, that's a big no-no to Vince. You know, how dare you walk out on me? And you know, so uh, you know, we we understand why he's been uh, why he's been made uh, been pushed in the vein to try to be forgotten. Uh, but uh, I, I, you know, I, I use a couple different criteria, and I'm like factoring in somebody's value and like where I see them on, you know, on the uh, echelon and wrestling the fact that people are you know that punk is still that relevant in the wrestling business after being away for how many years now five six yep how many years has it been, been there? so since uh, 2014 2013 yeah it's about uh four years basically okay so four or five years uh but when you talk to fans and, and you guys know i talk to fans every weekend uh, and quite a few times in, during the week as well uh, around uh, around the Berg. Uh, when you talk to fans, you ask about characters like, hey, who's your favorite? And uh, His name still comes up very consistently. 
you know, the fans say, oh, I really miss CM Punk. You know, I used to love CM Punk's promos. Uh, you know, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of fans that give me that. And, and I, I've been talking to a lot of fans also about like, you know, the, the, you know, I broached on Twitter a, a few a few weeks ago about, uh, you know, Paul Heyman's create, uh, character create creativity as opposed to Vince's. And, you know, a few people tried to say, hey, wait a second, you know, Vince, man, he's, you know, owns the NFL of wrestling. He created all those stars. And then when you point out that the vast majority of those guys that drew money up there were created elsewhere and had drawn money elsewhere, uh, you know, but when you think about that, like to me, Punk was one of those guys that even though he had had that run in ECW uh, and, you know, uh, had some time in, in a couple of the promotions, uh, he he sort of became for his generation that that uh, uh, the, the company at that time, he became the face of the company. He was like the big dog or one of the big dogs, you know, and, uh, you know, you don't get into that position uh, by luck. You know, in my, in, in Punk's case, I think it was because A, his in-ring work, B, uh, his promos, and C, the whole straight edge thing that was so, so different, you know, especially coming from the world of professional wrestling, you know, where, with all the drug-induced deaths and things, you know, it was, uh, so it was a very memorable character. And like I said, the fans, even today, uh, talk in terms of that. When you ask me, hey, who's your favorite? Oh, I really, you know, Punk comes up a lot of being missed. And then when you talk about character development and, you know, name some of the events created, uh, you know, Punk's name will come up in there pretty consistently until I explain to them that, you know, Punk had runs elsewhere before WWE, but uh, never to the level that he did in WWF, uh, WWE, whatever it was at that point. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, you know, it shouldn't be too hard for Punk to be able to prove to the court that he was a substantial character for the WWF, WWE, uh, when he was there. So, say some the way that they can control history, some people fall for it, like these, you know, not so intelligent fans that are out there that kind of buy whatever WWE is pushing, you know, whether it's saying that, you know, Triple H is like, you know, the greatest thing since like bread or, you know, some other silly thing where like, <laughs> oh, Punk wasn't that great. You know, so, you I mean, some of the things I, I definitely don't like, like people like forgetting for a bit uh, time that they were going to run this thing um, in 2010 before Brett came back, they were going to do this whole thing about how, um, you know, Brett uh, ruined his legacy and, and Brett was terrible. So he had to almost like make amends so he could save his legacy. It's crazy that some of the wrestlers have to do that and they have so much control of the library and so much control of the history that they can almost make guys look like bigger stars than they were. And I was talking to um, Eric Bischoff about this at one point, even Mikey Whipwreck. They were like, and he would, and of course, Bischoff doesn't like Brett, but he's ripping on him. And I said, yeah, but did you know Shawn Michaels wasn't as good of a draw as Brett? He's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, Michaels was terrible pay-per-view draw. Michaels almost put him out of business. The house shows were down. I go, Brett came back because Michaels was so bad as champion. And he's like, wow. He's like, he's like you know, I never really thought of it like that. So it's funny the way that they kind of control the narrative almost too much and try to make some guys seem more important than others. And, and obviously um, Michaels, if you really, really look into it, especially 96 was not that good of a champion, arguably one of the worst champions ever in the history of the company. Oh, the 
damn pesky facts. Who, who cares about facts when I'm saying wrestler A and B are the greatest ever? Who cares about the, the draw? Who, who draws the most? Who gives a shit? Who sold out the most? That doesn't matter. I say this guy was the greatest and he's the greatest. That's Vince's way of looking at things, you know? And, you know, unfortunately, I think getting back to the Hall of Fame thing, if we can for a second, because it seems like it comes up so often on Twitter and, and Facebook, but, uh, you know, when you keep going out there, if, if and it certainly appears to be that from from my uh, distant viewing, uh, that the people that are going in, it seems more like it's a business decision as uh, to how many DVDs do I think I sell, how many of these videos can I stream, can I sell T-shirts of this guy or this this entity, whether it's a tag team or whatever. Uh, there seems like there's a lot. When I understand there's a business side to everything, but if uh, if you have a wrestler that you know, had made a huge impact on the industry, was a big draw for the time that he was in uh, the industry and a former world champion, should that person not be in the Hall of Fame? Uh, it's, it's, to me, it shouldn't be a question about who can sell the most DVDs or streaming videos. It should be about what you accomplished in the ring, what you accomplished for the company, and what kind of legacy did you leave in the industry? Uh, you know, so again, it's just another example of how, you know, Vince will manipulate things to make it look like, you know, like for instance, Dominic Danucci. You know, most fans that grew up watching Dominic Danucci are, are much older and, you know, probably not the type of people that are going to send an email or, you know, uh, send a letter in to complain about, you know, not seeing Dominic Danucci in the Hall of Fame. So to, to Vince, it's like, well, I can't sell a million copies of something with, with Dominic, so there's no reason to put him in there. It's not a question if there's a reason to put him in. There's a question of does he belong in there? And, you know, so uh, it gets back to the same thing you're saying, JP, about the manipulation of, you know, certain things. And then so, uh, how often people let those damn pesky facts get in the way? You know, it's... uh it's one of the professionals always said, oh, they're there again, those damn pesky facts. Uh, you know, a fact, by the way, being irrefutable. Um, you know, and you look at a lot of those guys, there's a lot of guys that, you know, uh, drew money and there's some that drew less. And and then you sort of compare it. And, you know, if you look at the way that they've been pushed, like, say, Shawn Michaels, I, and I don't know the numbers you're speaking of, I'm certainly interested, uh, gonna, you know, piquing my interest. But if the numbers, like you say, are, it sort of pales those pale then in comparison with the way he's been pushed. Don't you think? Yeah. It's crazy. I just, I, I, that's why I never understood why people said he was, Oh, he, he's, you know, he's the greatest. He's just in that. Well, he couldn't really put butts in the seats. So, I mean, I, I, I can't really say how great, <laughs> I mean, obviously Wait, well, physically great, but I mean, as far as being a, um, you know, the a workers worker, you, I mean, you, you're going to just throw him out there cause he was a great wrestler. Like, what about putting butts in the seats? He didn't really do a good job of that. Which is ultimately what our business is about. It's mm -hmm. about asses in the seats or eyeballs on a screen somewhere, uh, which is, I'm guessing asses in a seat somewhere. Uh, so ultimately, that's what our business is about. Is the building full or empty? Was the, did people buy the, uh, the pay-per-view? The buy rate up? Was it flat? Was it down? Those are those damn pesky facts. You can't refute them. You know, a number is a number. Two plus two equals four everywhere in the universe. So if Sean's ratings and pay-per-view buy rates and house show attendance when he was main eventing were below what Brett's were, then arguably uh, the screw job in Montreal 
was what it appeared to be. Now, you know, you mentioned the Hall of Fame, and obviously, you know, we did literally talk for hours about, dude, this guy just got screwed. This guy's not in. This That guy's not in. Obviously, Bam Bam Bigelow's name, they said he was going to be in last year. He wasn't in. A guy like King Kong Bundy, it's kind of weird and strange and crazy. He's not in. But a guy yeah. we, we were talking about uh, on Saturday, how the hell is Ivan Koloff, the former champion, the one that ended Bruno's streak? You know, the yeah. guy that, 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 you know, you know, changed the garden at that point, you know, just literally physically and, and emotionally just drained a place and was the champion in an era where you didn't think he'd be Bruno. Ivan Koloff, shockingly not in the whole thing, which is insane. Yeah. And there's, there's, you know, when you start looking through the record, there's a lot of people that aren't in that a lot of people think were in. Like when they put Hillbilly Jim in uh, last year, the I had a lot of people come to me and say, I thought he was in. I, that's that's crazy. I already thought he was in. You know, so there's a lot of people, like when those names start coming out every year, uh, I've got a, a, a friend of mine that comes and visits me every uh, Wednesday, and uh, you know, he watches wrestling incessantly. Uh, if he's listening out, his name's Josh. And uh, I, Josh has Down syndrome. I had a sister when I was teaching years ago, really nice family, and he's a really good kid. But he's really, really up on wrestling, you know, the current product. And so every Wednesday he comes and bones me up and, you know, tells me about things. And, you know, and they're always in that, you know, build up to WrestleMania. They keep, you know, every week announcing and, you know, another Hall of Fame person. Uh, when he would come in, you know, we would talk about it. And he would, you know, and I'd throw names at him. And he would go do his homework and come back and say, you know, like, why isn't Ivan Koloff in there? And what, what about this person? What about that person? You start going down and you start investigating and digging. There are an awful lot of people that you just, you know, so many names over the years, you sort of lose sight of, uh, of the focus on the names. But, you know, you go through and start looking at the list of who's in the Hall of Fame and then asking yourself what notables from each of those generations aren't in there. And it's a, it's a veritable who's who. You know, I mean, it is a huge list of notable heavyweights that certainly deserve to be in there and, and aren't. Uh, but... You know, it's, uh, and we can go on and on. I mean, this could be a, you know, we could start our own podcast, you know, what's wrong with the WWE uh, Hall of Fame, you know, and, and that's not to detract from anybody that is in it. It's, uh, it's more to put a spotlight on the people that aren't in it and deserve to be in it. And, you know, some of the, uh, stories that you hear, uh, there was a story that I'd heard. And again, just a story that I'm relaying, um, that somebody was asked, take their name off the the uh the wwe lawsuit and was promised that they would be put into the hall of fame if they did so uh my understanding is they did so and yet still were not put in the hall of fame so you know you know if that's a true story if big big capital letters if, if that's a true story it's repulsive um and you know, no way shocking to those of us that have worked in that company. There's a couple, there's a couple cool, pretty, you know, decent outlets out there. Obviously, there's the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. There's the uh, the Dragos Hall of Fame. There's a couple other little satellite Hall of Fames that are popping up that, you know what, the guys that aren't getting the honor on the WWE stage are going to be getting it on a more intimate level from some of these other smaller 
uh, Hall of Fame entities, which if they pop up regionally, which I know there's one that's going to be coming to Virginia very soon, that I hope is going to honor a lot of the, you know, the guys that traveled through Virginia, were from Virginia, that might not get the recognition that they got. Guys that maybe did wrestle a Luthez or, or wrestled uh, a Bruno San Martino, and we don't really know too much about them. Maybe they'll be getting the recognition that they deserve, and I think that's very cool. And you know what? The WWE, it's it's the, the dog and pony show. It's, uh, you know, the video packages. It's the footage they've got. They've obviously got an audience, and they manipulate what people get to see and who gets to go in. And Shane, you beat it over, you know, you beat it to death over the last few years that it's not going to be a true Hall of Fame unless people vote on it or, or fans are involved, and you you hit the nail right on the head. And there's so many other people that also take that stance that you do. And hopefully, you know, these other smaller satellite Hall of Fames, they get to pick up the pieces where WWE is clearly losing out on honoring some of the great legends that haven't gotten that honor of being in the, quote, WWE Hall of Fame. Well, no doubt. To me, the, the bigger part of the problem with the Hall of well, I think that is the biggest part of the problem with the Hall of Fame, in my humble opinion. But another very glaring detail for the Hall of Fame that I think is really hard to uh, uh, to explain out uh, properly is how is it not a physical place? Uh, I would seem to think that there'd be a lot of wrestling fans around the world that would like to travel to Canton, Ohio to the, you know, if they're an NFL fan or Cooperstown, if they're a baseball fan. Uh, how is it that there's not a physical place? You know, I'm sure they could find a floor and Titan towers to, to put it there. They had to, or, Someplace maybe more notable, like a you know a, a, a portion of Madison Square Garden, someplace. But there, that there's no physical entity uh, for the WWE Hall of Fame with all the uh, memorabilia that they must possess and can get their hands on. Uh, I think it'd be a pretty impressive place to go, and you know that that there's not that place seems mystifying me i understood like when they first started it you know started pushing it pretty hard but you know we're going on quite a long time now that you know that they've been doing this on a yearly basis and you know still no physical place for the fans to visit uh which i think is a you know a big glaring black mark on it it, it should be it, it should be as tangible as the nfl's as the major league baseball's the nhl's the nba's uh, the U.S. Swimming Associations, uh, you know, all of those things. The U.S. Amateur Wrestling Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, they, it should be a physical place, and and uh, until it is, I think it's going to always be a black mark, at least to me. And they also now have kind of incorporated a Legends Wing, you know, which is like uh, the awards that don't get mentioned on television. So unless you're in the building, yeah. you don't get to see it. So uh, this past year. Uh, Stan Stasiak was put into the Legends Wing, and his son Sean Stasiak, who obviously you know had a pretty decent career in both WWE and WCW, he uh, mm-hmm. he was rather vocal about it. That you know, I don't think he he was appreciative of the honor, but wasn't necessarily thrilled with you know how it was all brought about. That I mean, it was basically you know it's like those uh, Oscars that you don't get to see on television. You know the. Uh, the best aerial, sure. you know, effects in a movie that you, the guy's Oscar winning, you know, uh, effects artist, but you never saw him win an award. And, and now they're kind of throwing, they're, they're lumping in guys that, you know, I'd love to see somebody come out and talk about Stan Stasiak. We only know him in black and white, you know, people from our generation, right. we only saw clips. We never got a chance to see him. So I think that's their cop out 
that, oh, look, we put Stan Stasiak in the Hall of Fame, but he's in the Legends wing, and we didn't get to see a video package or, or a speech or somebody tell a road story <laughs> or something like that. So they always find a way to, uh, you know, kind of get their uh, their little, you know, their little knuckle in your back. You know what I mean? They, they, they're honoring you, but it's almost like a backhanded honor. Yeah, and to me, it, it cheapens it. You know, you have, like, you know, somebody was mentioning they should have, like, a like a hardcore wing or whatever bullshit. You know, if you're in the hall of fame, you're in the hall of fame. You know, it shouldn't be, Hey, you're in, you're in the, 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 uh, major league baseball hall of fame slash one double a, you know, or on you know, the, the, the B uh, hall of fame, you know, the hall of fame is a hall of fame. And, uh, you know, obviously there's different degrees, you know, Bruno San Martino was obviously more than a, you know, Stan Stasiak, uh, you know, prestige wise, you know, draw wise, all of that, but they should both be housed in that building and, 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 and uh, honored equally, you know, in the hall of fame, the Pantheon should not be, well, you know, Bruno and, and uh, Hogan are on the penthouse floor and you guys are in the basement, but Hey, you're in the same building, you know, no, the hall of fame should be linear, uh, should be uh, lateral, uh, horizontal. And uh, you know, one, level playing field for everybody. Everybody in the Hall of Fame is in the Hall of Fame. This one shouldn't be worth more than that one or vice versa. Now, one guy who will not be in, into the, in the WWE Hall of Fame anytime soon is uh, the recently let go, a couple months back, uh, Enzo Amore, who, uh, <laughs> you know, rather controversially was let go by WWE. And, uh, you know, just a quick review. He was accused of uh, some sexual misconduct uh, and some allegations from a woman in Phoenix, Arizona, that he was apparently fired because he did not disclose to WWE that he was under investigation, which is apparently in their contract these days that you have to disclose if you are under investigation for any matter whatsoever. So it doesn't have anything to do with the other stuff that he was apparently on thin ice for and that he wasn't really well-liked within the company but nonetheless was let go in January, right around the time of the uh, 25th anniversary of Monday Night Raw. Well, Enzo Amore has now resurfaced, Shane, and I hope that you clicked on the link because I'm dying to hear what you've got to say about his uh, rap debut video, slamming the dirt sheets, the fans uh, that, that were kind of, uh, you know, backhanded saying stuff about him online, the WWE, TMZ, kind of going after uh, a lot of different entities here, as well as the accuser uh, that did bring forward these allegations, who was proven wrong by social media. People came forward with text messages that she sent out. And look, we, we can discredit her all the way, you know, to the cows come home. It's been proven that she um, was trying to, to, to make a buck, and it looks like Enzo's going to be in the clear here. But he's now going by the name Real One, and his debut rap video, Shane, we sent it to you. I'm dying. To, I'm dying to hear your uh, your honest feedback of a uh, you know of a musically inclined gentleman that you are. We know that you uh, you recorded some music there for WWE that didn't see the light of day. So Shane, what is your uh, your opinion and your review of the Enzo Amore rap video? Well, I, you know I'm not a big fan of that genre. I mean, my son loves it. Uh, you know, I'm you know more of the rock and roll guy from the generation that I came up. Uh, the, the first thing that really stuck out to me on, on the video was the, uh, uh, the verbiage used, you know, that, you know, especially in light of having been accused of something like this and, 
you know, uh, just let's just say for you know for a company that's publicly traded like WWE, uh, had he not been fired, he probably would have been as soon as this thing was released. Uh, you know, the whether we like it or not, when you become a public figure, there is some semblance of responsibility that goes to that. Uh, I remember when Lebr- LeBron James first came into the NBA and he said, hey, I'm not a role model. And Charles Barkley has said that many times over the years. Uh, you know, I didn't choose to be a role model. I don't want to be a real one. That's irrelevant. You know, if, if you uh, go into a business that has a lot of eyeballs on it, like wrestling once did, and, uh, you know, you become a name in that business. And, you know, on television, you know, we always joke around we were on TV more than Walter Cronkite. Um, when, if that's the case... You take on some proxy uh, or by proxy, some level of, of uh, uh, being looked up to. And, you know, I, especially now as a father, I think there's some semblance of responsibility that goes to that. You know, so we start putting out a rap video that has, the, the, you know, some of the phraseology and, and words and things, especially coming off, of, you know, you know, the whole reason he was fired from the WWE. Uh, at very least, it comes off as tacky. Uh, at, at its worst, it comes off as uh, anti-women. Uh, you know, in this light of the Me Too movement and everything, which is, everybody knows my feelings on that. Uh, that's a very slippery slope. But with that and putting something out like this, uh, you know, I guess that it's like the old thinking: like, hey, any controversy is good because it makes it sell. Well. Sometimes it's, you know, controversies can be bad. If it suddenly puts you in the light of you looking like a misogynist or, you know, anti, you know, uh, uh, something, anti-fill-in-the-blank, then it, 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 you know, puts you, it casts you in a light that shouldn't, you know, that, that you most people wouldn't want to be put in. That said, uh, the... <laughs> You know, some some of the phraseology. Let's just say there was, you know, some. Uh, it, 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 it it wasn't exactly a. a uh, uh, <laughs> how do I word this without you know sounding really crass? Uh, uh, it's just the it, franchise it, it, is speechless. I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I'm 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 searching searching for that one right word, and uh, it, it you know it it was terrible, Shane. It was awful. Okay. Well, the, the... <laughs> it, it, it was yeah. It, it, it certainly was. I don't think we're gonna see him on the uh, on the uh, uh, the uh, awards this year, the Grammy awards this year. Uh, I think we're safe to say that. But you know it, you know that. Like I said, I was just like playing the video in my head right now, just seeing like of all the ways. Like I was giggling as I was watching it because it it seemed like he was trying to be so legitimate in it, and yet came off like chuckle with me chuckling watching it. Uh, I think uh, Eminem is safe. I think Dr. Dr. Dre is safe. I think <laughs> hey, all the young rappers are pretty safe in their positions. Uh, you know, but now again, remember you, you step out on that, you know, on that limb. You're taking a hell of a chance. And I, I give him credit in that sense. You're he's taking a damn chance because, you know, if you fail at that, 
And let's face it, right now the climate, you know, with the Me Too and everything going on, you know, it's not exactly a good time to come out with those kind of that kind of a song. Uh, last week was it uh, was it iTunes or uh, Twitter? One one of the big social platforms uh, took down uh, what they call uh, drill music. You know, uh, songs are have they got really rampant and violent and anti-woman rap songs. You know, so you're making it hard. And then if that doesn't work, you know, <laughs> imagine coming back and trying to get a job and you know, and, and a nine to five job uh, in corporate America, and you know, you step in and your and, and your boss is a woman. You know, it's uh, which is completely likely today. You know, so uh, it, it just it seemed wrong on so many levels. Uh, that I, I it begs the question asked me who was advising him or was nobody advising him uh, shall remain to be seen but I, I urge everybody listening if they hadn't seen it by all means please please uh, go check it out because it's definitely one you want to see once <laughs> <laughs> now what did you think about the portrayal of wrestling fans in the beginning of the video because I think it was more of a slam at dirt sheet writers but also there were the, the verbal digs at the fans and people reporting stuff and, and running to you know basically be the first to do so on social media it, it, did you kind of feel the wrestling journalists and the wrestling fan were painted in a positive light just by the uh, opening segment there in the first half of the video I, I, it seemed to me that they were all lumped together pretty tightly, you know. So there was, you know, there were the, the comments uh, made, like, you know, about the uh, the dirt writers and and you know the smart marks and stuff. Uh, but then, you know, it's, he went into that so hard uh, and drilled down on that in in the song that it, it to me was really a real thin line between it, uh, if if any at all. You know, I thought it was very condescending. You know, if you've ever seen the uh, AWA's Super Bowl, or not Super Bowl Shuffle, um, uh, Wrestle Rock Rumble is what they called it. It's from 1986, 87. It features the stars of the AWA rapping, including Nick Bockwinkle rapping, and Larry Zbysko rapping, <laughs> oh and Vern Gagne. What? Yeah, even Vern Gagne has a, has a verse on there. I, I dare say they had better rhythm uh, to just going along to like a 1980s rap beat then whatever he was trying to pull off, I mean, he's obviously trying to copy uh, some certain styles out and trying to sound like some of the rappers that are out there today. Rap is a completely different game than it was even 20 years ago. It's just, it's more, you know, it's flashy. It's, uh, it's, it's a little more explicit in the way that he had it. And I just didn't think it was the right thing to do. I mean, if he wants to, to branch out in that way, obviously, you know, wrestlers become actors, wrestlers do a, a lot of stunt work, wrestlers do a lot of uh, different things after their wrestling days may be presumably sure. over. He's a young guy. He's cl He might not be done. I, I just think poor uh, poor portrayal, uh, bad execution, and like you said, who's ever giving him advice uh, definitely uh, maybe should have steered him in another direction. Maybe the money was good. Hey, you never know. Right, it could have been. I, but, you know, to me, if you're if – you're again, you'd have to talk to him what his intention is, but if you're branching out and going in a direction to step away from the business, uh, sort of awkward that your first release is, is all about slamming wrestling fans and, you know, uh, the dirt writers, the sheet writers and, you know, that kind of thing. So it's, you know, uh, uh, Steve Austin had told me, you know, that he'd walked away, that he's like, he's retired the 
stunning Steve Austin thing because he wanted to focus on his new projects and not keep rekindling, you know, the uh, the Attitude Era uh, image and and all of that. And that's understandable. So as you see, as he's moved his career away from that, you don't see him occasionally dabbling and becoming stunning, you know, uh, or Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know, uh, you know, it, it's uh, I think that's the proper way to do it. So again, if he's if it was Enzo's attempt to leave the wrestling business behind. It seemed like he, he glared a spotlight on it. And then so doing, uh, I think going to put a, a big magnifying glass on people uh, examining his career. You know, if, if you didn't, if you come across that video online someplace or on some uh, 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 drill video, I think it's what they call it, drill music or drill video, whatever they call that uh, genre. And you're watching that, you're probably going to go, hmm, he used to be a wrestler. I'm going to Google that and check it out. And, you know, uh, come across some of the other more negative stuff. So, I, you know, it's all what somebody is intending to do. Uh, I give anybody credit, though, that is, is trying to, you know, move beyond the, whatever the next phase of their career is going to be. Like we talked about Stevie Richards earlier. Uh, you know, so A for effort uh, and F on the... Uh, on the outcome of that final exam is one and by my book uh, was best. I was going to say, is that an official Dean Douglas grading right there? A for effort and uh, an F there. If the Dean could put his hat on for a second, would that be the official grading for the Enzo uh, music video from the lyrics to the presentation uh, to the overall release? What would the, uh, the official final grade by the Dean be in this instance? Who? <laughs> I'll, I'll have, I'll have I, John I, ask it. Maybe you'll answer if John asks it. Well, I, I, I didn't catch that uh, much because I, it just sounded like they're like nails on a board the entire time you were talking. I couldn't quite hear what you were saying. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe your buddy JP will ask you, and you'll, uh, you'll, you'll give him a straight answer. <laughs> wow, <a little laughs> <jealousy> <laughs> oh, JP, you're up. Go for ask franchise anything. <laughs> All right. Um, I was actually going to say there was a fan backstage. Well, I guess it wasn't a fan. I guess he was somebody with the building. He was trying to stop uh, the franchise and say, hey, I, I love the uh, the Dean Douglas character and all those stuff. <laughs> but the thing that, that got me was I think the kids, um, his son is like good friends with uh, Bruno's grandson. Something like that was like kind of how he oh, got yeah. Yeah, that's how he got your attention. Then he's then he then he hit you with the hey man, Dean Douglas was an awesome gimmick. I don't I don't know why <laughs> yeah. he didn't like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, uh, I, I, if I understood him correctly, it was loud in the building. But if I understood him correctly, I thought he said he was Bruno's cousin, yeah, or Daryl's cousin. So I guess he was Bruno's. However, that goes right. His son Daryl. Yeah. Daryl's cousin or something. Something weird like that. Yeah, I, th I thought he used the word cousin. I couldn't tell if he said it was Bruno or or whoever. But uh, and and did he also say? Did I hear him correctly when he said that he was at the funeral? Yes. Okay, I thought so because yep. you know there were there were a lot of people in the church, you know, so it, it's quite possible. I, you know, I, I was sitting uh, with Dominic's daughter and her husband and Cody Michaels behind uh, Bruno's family, so there were you know there were a good chunk of people in the church, you know, the pretty big church and a substantial number of people in there. So very possible, but I, you know, obviously didn't recognize him by face or anything, but you know, he's very polite and, and, uh, you know, and 
except when he brought the dean thing out of his room. Really <laughs> You know, it's probably not the building to invoke that in. You know, you might want to ask that outside. You know, you might get lightning <laughs> bolted here or something. <laughs> huh. Now for a little ask franchise anything, Carl. Don't call me Michael, and don't call me Lord Alfred Hayes, aka the Big Chi on Twitter. What venue did you not wrestle in during your career that you had wished that you did? Ah. Uh. Let me think here. Uh, that's, that's horrible. I, I, it, it, from the, what I remember from being a kid, the only building I ever wanted to wrestle as a kid was the Pittsburgh Civic Arena, and, and you know, thankfully I'd gotten the opportunity to do that. You know, anybody coming into wrestling, you know, always envisions Madison Square Garden because you know we're towards the mecca of professional wrestling and has all those connections to. You know, Joe Lewis fights back in the day, and you know, it's a pretty iconic. It's a pretty iconic building uh, in Japan. The Egg Dome and uh, Budokan uh, wrestled in those. Uh, uh, pretty much every major arena around the country I can think of. No, there's no major building I can think of off the top of my head that I endeavored to work in that I hadn't. Uh, and, and not because I wrestled in so many buildings, but because as a kid coming into the business. The only building I really ever wanted to wrestle in was the Civic Arena, and could never even begin as a kid to imagine that. Uh, and, and you know, you know, luckily I did have that opportunity to wrestle there multiple times. So beyond that, then I, once I started breaking into the business, you then think about Madison Square Garden, and of course I'd done that. And uh, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything other than like maybe some of the iconic buildings that were no longer around, like. Uh, in San Francisco, when uh, you know, Dominic had always talked about uh, the building based, I forget the name of it, they used to always wrestle in with uh, Roy Shire's promotion. Uh, that's where Pat Patterson came from. That's where Ray Stevens came from. There were a lot of those really iconic wrestlers of that period that had gone through there. Uh, buildings like that, you know, that I would have loved to have been able to wrestle and at least have some point of reference in my head to when Dominic tells these, you know, because he tells stories and they're, so vivid. He remembers the date, what day of the week it was, uh, who he wrestled that night, how long they went. It's really impressive, his memory. And, you know, I would have loved to have been able to wrestle in some of those buildings so that I could have that uh, connection to the stories when he tells them. Is it the Cow Palace in uh, San Francisco? Is that... Was that the yeah, uh, building? That, that, was, that was one of them. Uh, there was another one he used to always talk about. Uh, because oh, what the, it's I can't come, I can't remember right off the top of my head, but there were like multiple buildings they wrestled at in that area, and uh, that you know that that would be like the best way I could answer that is you know just so I'd have point of reference to those stories when Dominic tells them, and and to have known that I'd wrestled in the same place that Dominic had one time, and <clears throat> you know that other than the Civic Arena, no, when you know you're a kid coming to the business, you know you don't. Or even before you think about being in the business, and you know, you think dream about being a professional wrestler, you don't sit there and think, "I'm going to headline every major in the building, every building in the world," you know, or or the top 25. You think of the building you, you went to, and for me, the Pittsburgh Civic Arena, because a that's where I'd seen so many matches when I was a kid, and that I sat there with my dad watching them. You know, it's just so those those two things together just brings all the magic together for me. And, you know, once I did it the first time, the first time I wrestled there, ever wrestled in that building, I wrestled uh, Steve Lombardi. Oh, nice. 
You know what I was actually thinking? Uh, what about the Sportatorium in Dallas, Texas? You never wrestled there. No, I, I never did. Uh, you know, at that time, World Class was still going, you know, and still doing, you know, pretty solid business. But I had gotten in, you know, my foot in the door in the business in the UWF. <clears throat> and, you know, they were <clears throat> sort of like mirror images of each other and the type of promotions that they were, and the, the way that they ran. But they were also like, islands under themselves you know like the the mid the, the uh, uh uwf and mid-south guys and the uh world-class guys they were like worlds that didn't collide if that makes sense uh i never had and to be honest with you, i didn't really know the, the true history the real like length of the history in the sportatorium until i saw the recently released uh uh, <clears throat> uh kevin von eric uh, uh documentary uh, which I thought was extraordinarily well done. What a story. I mean, everything about the Von Erichs in Dallas and that whole territory is uh, fascinating, whether it's uh, the curse, whether it's the inside stories, there's everything about it. So that's uh, it's unfortunate you never got to wrestle there, but the stories are legendary. And uh, obviously, you know, Kevin Von Erich, my God, the, the things he did in Dallas. But all right, we're getting ready to wrap it up here. It's been a... Uh, it's been a jam-packed episode for not having a lot of news points or not having a lot of reference here, but, I mean, just a, a lot of information to digest here. And uh, as we move forward, Shane, we're going to all be together this weekend at the Legends of the Ring convention in Monroe, New Jersey. It's going to be uh, the two-man right. power trip, Shane Douglas, and uh, we're going to all be joined by the King Jerry Lawler. So it's uh, going to be mm -hmm. one interesting afternoon, but also throwing into the fray that Dominic Danucci is going to be there, Mick Foley is going to be there, right. Dr. D. David Schultz is going to be there, superstar Bill Dundee is going to be there, and this is all going to be kind of tied into where we're going to be that day. So looking forward to a nice Saturday. A lot of legends, a lot of great names, and obviously uh, there's always something interesting happening when you get to uh, that Monroe, New Jersey convention there. There's always, uh, there's always something brewing inside those walls. Hey, no, no question about that, and a couple of points of reference on this show. First of all, this will be the first time I've been on a show or in a building at the same time that D. David Schultz was there since my debut way back in 1980s, sometime 82, 83, something like that, Thanksgiving Day. Uh, he was on that show and that was, and then left, you know, I don't know if he left the business or just sort of just disappeared in the business. I, I, I never was on another show with him after that. So I'm looking forward to seeing him and, and, and talking with him and re-meeting him. But also, this is the first time that Dominic Canucci, Mick Foley, and myself will be in the same venue at the same time in quite a long time. I, I, so long that I, I can't... In my head, the last time that I recall the three of us being together in a building uh, for an event was at the uh, Hildebrand Comes Home show. The uh, the show that we had uh, promoted in Ross Traver uh, way back when uh, Mark Hildebrand was still, or Brian Hildebrand, Mark Curtis was still with us. And uh, that was the first time, and uh, maybe the only time, that uh, WCW, WWF, and ECW talent all appeared on the same show. Bruno San Martino was there, Dominic was there. It was a huge event. And I, I may be wrong on that, but if I am, I'm not far off. Uh, it's been quite some time that, that Mick and Dominic and I have been together. So it'd be a rare opportunity to get, you know, that picture taken with the three of us. 
It's going to be uh, one hell of a day. Cannot wait for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we'll report back on that on episode number 51 next week. And, of course, if you want to reach out and touch us and send in your question for the Triple Threat Podcast, you can send us an email to thetriplethreatpod at gmail.com. Again, thetriplethreatpod at gmail.com. We just did a whole episode dedicated to all S Franchise Anything questions a few weeks back. So we're kind of looking for some more questions. If you want to send some along, maybe you'll hear yours answered. We try to get at least one in a show, and uh, obviously in, you know, maybe in a couple weeks we get some you know, large amount in, we'll do another one. So always love hearing from the fans, and if you want to reach out and touch us on Twitter, you can get Shane at the Franchise SD. You can get us at Two Man Power Trip, and the show, the Triple Threat Podcast Twitter, at the three. At the number three threat pod, I can't. You'll find us on there. I, it's a hard one to remember. There was a lot of domains taken when I was trying to get that one set up. So just find us. Uh, type in triple threat podcast. Uh, you'll be able to find us on there. And if you want to get some merchandise to bring to the convention this coming weekend, head on over to wrestlingsuperstore.com, and there you will find the first franchise Shane Douglas action figure that has been released in nearly Ooh. twenty years. With the great detail, the tassels, the tattoos, the goatee, the uh, the blonde hair that JP will be sporting this weekend. It's all there in that action figure at WrestlingSuperstore.com. And you can get yours and bring it to the convention this weekend. Well, rumor has it that Figures is also working on a JP action figure to be coming out soon as well. So I thought I'd throw that two cents <laughs> in there. Uh, just a programming note, I uh, just want to also let everyone know that next week will be dedicated to the career of Shawn Michaels, and I will be hosting that show, and I'll be talking about <laughs> Shawn Michaels' greatest matches, moments, and, uh, <laughs> and, and all things Shawn Michaels next week. I can't wait to, uh, to break it down, as Shawn Michaels would say, uh, for the folks next week on episode number 51. Oh. Oh, boy, me either, because I'll be able to do all that homework that JP told us about earlier. I'll have all the numbers that we need. The research will be done ad nauseum. <laughs> hey, it was, the, it was the new generation, you know? It wasn't just uh, the, the new Pepsi or the new Coke. It was the new generation. So, and, and also, yeah. let me finish out the plugs here. If you want to get the Shane Douglas official T-shirts, go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Franchise SD. I was wearing my... Shane F. and Douglas shirt today as I was uh, picking up my daughter from daycare, so I'm sure everybody really loved me. So that was, uh, that was nice, but support, supporting the brand, the franchise brand. And if there's anything else you know you got coming up, Shane, obviously we have the big weekend this week, but what else you have going on in the land of the franchise this coming weekend? Well, just get ready for that big uh, uh, Legends of the Ring this weekend because, like I said, the first time the three of us could be together getting a chance to see uh, uh, Dr. D. David Schultz for the first time in decades for me. Uh, anytime Jerry's on a, a show, Lawler, I, I always enjoy talking and, and seeing Jerry. So really looking forward to this weekend. But it, behind the scenes, I've been working feverishly. The franchise is fingers to the bone, drilling my head as hard as I can to make sure that we have huge guests, superstars lined up. And I don't mean WWE superstars. I mean legitimate superstars, wrestling superstars. For the one-year anniversary, and we are now two weeks, count them, two weeks away. Really, like, I mean, if you think the way I think about numbers, really a week away, because after we get past the podcast next week, man, it's going to be right upon us. And you know, who knows? That could, there, I've got so many people lined up for this, so many huge names. They could be like a six, seven, maybe even an eight, nine, ten-hour podcast. So I hope you guys strap in and, and get, your, uh, get yourselves ready, because this is going to be the marathon 
Triple Threat Podcast in two weeks. Uh, I can't wait. That's a hell of a buildup, and we uh, we will get it on over to episode 51 first, and we'll recap the weekend and have a lot of cool stories. I can't wait to hear what you and Dr. D talk about. Just say Vince McMahon to Dr. D. You don't even need to say anything <laughs> about your history with him. And then I'll, Slowly I turn, it, step by step. Exactly. <laughs> I can't wait to hear the, the stories back from that. So, Shane, I got nothing else on this end. JP, will close it out here. So, Shane, take us out in only the way the franchise can, and let's get it on out of here from episode 50 and move forward to number 51. Well, you know, before I say that next week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell him right before that, if anybody says anything about slapping, just smack the first person in front of you. So I'll say that and put you right in front of me then. So, hey, <laughs> how's Vincent Man? I'll put you right in front of me. Uh, but no, hey, it, 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 uh, look, it, like always, you've been here for 49 weeks, uh, getting all the information, all the lowdown right here, but two weeks away from the big one-year anniversary and a huge show next week right here. It's, this is the time you don't want to tune in to make sure you get all this information. Make sure you're here next week. Make sure you're here next week. And you listeners get ready for two weeks from now for the big one. Do that or get your ass what? Franchised. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.